The Lord be with you and welcome back to our dining room. Uh, you see we've turned around because the camera last week told us it was winter out there. <laughs> it looked like a snowstorm. Um, actually, it is bursting springtime out there with every hue of green and everything is popping. And so we didn't want to make it look like it was winter. So here we are. And I want to share with you um, on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Um, it, it is appropriate to this time of year, but also it is the very foundation of who we are as Christians. And so let me read just a couple of verses. The first one's in 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul states it as plainly as possible. He said, if Christ is not risen that is risen from the dead, our preaching is empty. Your faith is also empty. And then in verse 17, he said, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And so that, that says it as plain. And then go to the words of Jesus, the resurrected one. In verse 17 of Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, John the Apostle saw Jesus risen, ascended, as he is right now. And it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And this is the verse, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Somewhere between those texts, I want to share with you concerning the resurrection of Jesus. As I think that first reading said so plainly, that the entire gospel hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And let me simply repeat that if, if he did not rise from the dead, he is saying the entire operation was a complete failure and we are still in our sins. We are to be pitied. Uh, the resurrection, how, how could I put this? The resurrection is greater than creation. Can, can you take that in? Uh, just, just on the surface, creation. If you read Genesis 1, it says, And God said, and it was so. And the word in the Hebrew language tells us that uh, it, it is calling forth out of nothing. And, and so that's what you see in Genesis 1. Out from nothing, God called creation. Uh, but the resurrection, how, how is that greater than that? Because the resurrection is calling forth life out from unlife. Uh, <clears throat> or I could put it simply, calling forth life out of death. But I, I want to emphasize the unlife. That is, let me say again, creation calls forth 
substance and being out of nothing. But resurrection must overcome death. It must overcome unlife in order to call forth life. And that is what Jesus did. So resurrection is not just the uh, thing that happened in the New Testament. It, it is that upon which you could almost say the whole of creation hangs and resurrection finished creation. It brought it to its ultimate goal. And, and just th th this has got to be understood. We are not dealing with some uh, sidebar event. This isn't some, uh, you know, footnote in history. What we're dealing with here, how can I say it again? It's, it's the human race turned a corner in their history and they could never go back. Once the resurrection had taken place, something happened in the human race that had never happened before. And, well, that changed everything. And I mean, it changed everything. We can never go back and pretend it never happened. It happened. Uh, or if, can you see ages as great wheels that are turning? Uh, I mean, that's just a, a thought way of looking at the ages but if you can when the ages turned in the resurrection you, you could almost hear the crash of gears as everything changed and a new age in the greatest sense of the word has dawned upon us resurrection has taken place now you might not believe in the resurrection but I, but I say that's tough because you're confronted by it. It happened. Even the, the dating of our calendar changed. Everything changed. Everyone, whether you like it or not, has got to confront the reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so the resurrection is Jesus. Uh, resurrection had never happened before. Resurrection has never happened since. Jesus, at this moment in the history of the ages, is the only one who rose from the dead. The only one who entered into death and then came out of it, having overcome it. So he said those monumental words that we read, I am he who lives, and that would be better understood. I have tried to say this before. You might have been there when I... It's, he said, I'm livingness. It's not merely saying I'm alive. Definitely not. It, it means I am life itself. The Amplified Bible says, I am the ever-living one. That is, I am in myself the source of being, the source of life. And, and, and certainly he goes on and says, I was dead. And you've heard me say before, they're the most fantastic words in the New Testament. I was dead. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I was dead. But he says then, <clears throat> I am alive. And I am alive now to the ages of ages, meaning un uh, unendingly. I, I am livingness. And how come I am livingness? Because I'm a new kind of life. 
a life that has actually gone into death, contradicted death and come out. Therefore, it's a life that already has entered into death and has come out and can never go back again. It's over. It's finished. Something new has happened that science cannot really fathom because it only happened once. But it happened. Resurrection. What do we mean by resurrection? That <clears throat> I could spend a lot of time here that I'm not going to spend. Um, but but it, it's the tragedy of the church of the 21st century that I really, so many churches have no clue what resurrection means. Um, just for starters, resurrection does not mean someone who came back from the dead. Let that sink in. Resurrection doesn't mean someone came back from the dead because, well, over the century, many people have come back from the dead. Many. But in in the days of the Bible, Jesus uh, called Jairus' daughter back from the dead. Uh, certainly the one that stands out is Lazarus. Um, he had been in the tomb for three days and Jesus called him out and he came to life and walked out of the tomb. Um, so resurrection is not that. The better word there would be resuscitation. They, they, they came back from the dead, but it was not because they had conquered death. They came back from the dead by the grace, mercy of God, love of God, but they're going to die. That's the point, you see. They, they came out from death and, and then they will die. And they did die. So it was not conquering death. And that would say also, which is increasingly being believed in some way, shape or form here in the States, that resurrection is some sort of cosmic springtime. <laughs> I don't know what to say. You know, um, it, it, it takes place always this, this day when we um, remember and celebrate resurrection. It takes place right there in the spring. And so, like outside this window, all is bursting with life. It was only a few weeks ago. They were dead trees and, and the grass was, if it was there at all, it was yellowed and dead. <clears throat> and then uh, suddenly within the time of a few days it seemed everything came alive and every leaf began to burst through every bud began to open birds began to get nesting ideas and the grass became green and not only green but shut up inches that's resurrection is it's life from the dead isn't it no it isn't no you see what what was there in the fall last year, remember the leaves, they died. Well, they're not being resurrected. Now, these leaves are brand new leaves. Those leaves are dead, gone, and are compost right now. No, this isn't resurrection. Springtime is beautiful. It, it, it is the bursting forth of life, but it's the bursting forth of new life that has not been before. And I'm sorry to tell you, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I look at these leaves out there 
And, and it, it's as if they're all young. I could almost say they're young teenage leaves. And I can almost hear them saying, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. We're, we're alive, we're alive, and we're going to live. And then by August, they're beginning to fail. And by September, October, it's over. And they fall off the trees like all the others and they died. So it looks like life springing forth, but it isn't. It's, it's, it's life, beautiful life, wonderful life, God-glorifying life, but it will die. It's not resurrection. And, and let me say also, this resurrection is not simply coming back from the dead to prove it could be done. As if Jesus came out of the tomb uh, on this morning, those 2,000 plus years ago, and, and said, well, I did it, uh, I proved it. No, 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 no. As I'll say in a moment, that resurrection is not only the end of something, but it is the beginning of something, and both sides of that are incredible but sometimes I think what is on the plus side, that he came out and there was a new beginning that nobody could ever conceive of. That's resurrection. And so, how could I say it? Well, resurrection is the ultimate and the absolute and the final contradiction of death. Let that sink in. You see, resurrection means that Jesus, who is himself the resurrection, stopped death. But not only stopped it, he reversed it. He stripped death of all authority and he stripped death of all the results of death to the point where it became as if it had never been. Can you handle that? It wasn't just saying, well, that's it, I, I've closed the door on death. No, death was humiliated. Death was trashed. In the death of Jesus, death died. And not only died, let me say again, but all the results of death are rolled back. So that resurrection means it is as if death never had been. It was, I say, absolutely trashed. And in the end, those last two words, it demands another hour to talk about them. But just to reference, Jesus said, and I have the keys of Hades and death. I, I love that. I love the picture. You see, if he's got the keys... He means he's got residency and entrance. Do you get that? Jesus says death no longer is death as it has been defined because I now live here. Jesus is perfectly at home in death because he's totally conquered it and wiped out its sting and, and it's a nothing. So he says, I've got the keys. And he says, I have the keys of Hades, which is fascinating because, again, it means then uh, Hades is full of Jesus because he has the keys. You understand? 
um, it's all over. It's all being reversed. But just a minute. Before I can understand everything I've just said, really, I've got to ask a further question. What is death? If, if Jesus' resurrection means the death of death, if it means the obliterating of all the results of death, then what is death? What is it? And that's not an easy question because there are many, shall I say, levels or aspects of death. Um, it, it's not, you see, if you ask the average person on the street, uh, I've, I've had the answers, you know, sort of passing into oblivion. It's a sort of entrance into non-being. It, it's a forever nothingness. Uh, it's got certain question marks about it, and that's why people... Uh, scream away from it but that that's not enough i'm sorry that's that's not a definition of death death in the bible is not only that which happens at the end of human life that's why i said there are more levels to death than that so let, let's give it another word instead of saying death let's use the word separation because that's essentially what it is at many different levels. And separation came about in the Garden of Eden when mankind rejected the glory of God as his home and dwelling. Or as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, have come short or have fallen away from the glory of God, the glory of God being his unbegun, unending, unbounded love for you and I. And mankind, we were created, the whole of creation, the whole cosmos came into being out from the love of God. He created us out from love to love us. And mankind walked away from that, tripped over, fell flat on his face away from that. And a whole new world, universe, came into existence. And it was an existence based on the lie. The lie which came from the liar, came from the accuser, the one that is usually named Satan. And the, the lie... The lie is that you have life in yourself. You within yourself can become God. You do not need God in order to give you status and position. You can find everything in yourself. And so man turned inward. And that was the beginning of this word death. Uh, the, the New Testament speaks of persons who are dead while they live. And what is it? Ephesians 2 speaks of being dead in trespasses and sins. So while you're very much alive physically, you experience death. That is, the word separation begins to come into play. Um, separation. And let me say this also. When I say separation, I don't mean there was a little wall built. Nor do I mean there was a little door. 
Maybe a better way of saying this word separation would be abyss. That is a vast emptiness. Have you ever been and looked into an abyss? Don't try, but you look into what seems to go forever. I remember looking into such, and the clouds were down there, uh, way underneath me. It seemed I was looking down and down and down into absolute nothingness, and a cross was too far to even imagine jumping or throwing a rope, uh, a great abyss. And, And you call into the abyss, and it echoes back its emptiness. Well, that's something of what I'm talking about. This separation came to pass and it carries with it terrifying terrifying it's it's not a ho-hum thing the sense of the abyss of separation that makes it impossible for a human to cross it carries with it that that fear that that deep angst that is in the heart of human it carries with it a blindness as to the other side. And and that blindness is also described as darkness. I, I cannot see beyond where I am. Um, reality has been obscured, though the person in the darkness believes their darkness is the reality. But real reality, if there's such a thing, Real reality has been obscured. It's a blindness to truth. It's a blindness to what is. And that's why it came out of a lie. And so the entire world that the lie fashioned is a number of lies on top of lies. So separated by darkness, a blindness. And in that blindness, the separation takes on form and substance. Why do I say it takes on form? Because it's a lie. You see, in actual fact, we're not separated, not in reality, to to everything we know we are because we live by the lie. But it isn't so. God doesn't participate in the lie. Say whatever you want. It just doesn't register. God does not participate. Man says he's separated. Well, to God, he's not. God came the other side and loved him where he is, but man was blind and and didn't see it. So you've got to hold that there. God never separated from us. We separated from God based on the lie that created this world in which we stand on the edge of the abyss. I said we're separated by our choice, by our believing the lie, we're separated from the true God. And inside the darkness, we created, we invented a God. It was a projection of Adam. It's a God that fits our brokenness. It fits the guilt and the shame it's not a real God, it's, it's invented. In fact, the longer I look at this invented God, the more it looks like Satan himself, maybe. But the, the God that was invented is one who is repulsed by sin. 
disgusted with sinners, has no time for them, rejecting sin and sinners, and I could almost say lathering at the fangs to get on with punishing these repulsive sinners. That's the God that Adam invented. And wherever you go in the world, and I've been most places, and I've gone to talk to people about the God they worship, and I find that's the God they worship, or different names, different details, but that, that's it. They're, they're terrified of a God who hates them and a God who wills and wants to punish them. It leaves humankind with this terrible sense of being alone in the universe. Because we, we try to do so many things so we don't have to face that, but it's the heart of the lie that God has forsaken us and we are left alone. Because that's a lie. But it's a lie that is so real that we see between us and God an abyss that we cannot cross. And there's separation inside of us. The lie was like an earthquake inside of us and separated us from our true selves so that we're blind to who we truly are. We're blind to the fact that God the Father is our true and original parent. We're blind, dying, deaf to, to the fact that we are beloved of God. And so we see ourselves as rejected, as rejectable. If we think of God, we think of God as an enemy almost. We hide from God and we hide ourselves from ourselves. Or when we feel vocal, which is quite a bit actually, we call ourselves by the name we think God calls us, unwanted, stupid, unworthy, no good, separated. It's all a lie. We have no idea who we truly are. We have no idea of our belovedness to God. And of course we're separated by the fact we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we can't do anything right. I'll just say this. I'm not going to stop there. But do you, do you realize we were never created to try to do good any more than to try and not to do evil? That's all part of the lie. We were created not for a miserable world and life of trying to get somewhere, but a glorious rest life of life. And life that we derive from God the Son. But, but of course man believed in this path of uh, try to do good, stop doing evil. What would Jesus do, you know, and all that. Um, and of course it always failed. You can never achieve good, never enough. And most of the time you achieve evil, and many times achieve evil while you try to do good. Oh, what a mess. And so mankind is filled with accusation and guilt and shame, even more now afraid of his invented God, hiding behind fig leaves, separation. And we're separated from each other, afraid of what others will do to us, Afraid that I will be exposed as a fraud. We hide. What did the first thing they did? They put on fig leaves. And that wasn't to hide from God. That was to hide from each other. 
that they they were ashamed in the presence of each other we, we in order to establish our power we hurt the weaker one and all manner of abuse comes out of this we're separated from each other in a terrible way and then of course we're separated physically from life death works in the physical and and so we have disease that leads to death separation then physically from all that is precious and loved and the old testament speaks of hades and i'm not going to go with be all night on that um I, but hades simply means the grave period it means when you put someone under the ground or in a dark place and and in the old testament it was looked upon with, with despair and hopelessness it was where the whole of life came to a grinding halt and, and there it is you can neither change it um nor nor develop it, it, it that that's it and there you are and, and so it was a place of misery and they drew back from ever thinking about it i i'll say this man came under the authority of i want to say deadly disease i i know you know in, in today's world we look at sin and all that goes with it as rebellion against god and therefore got to be punished but supposing it was the lie is more like a virus that came and has brought every human being under the authority of death and the madness and the darkness and the blindness that goes with it is some terrible disease just think about that you 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 take such people to a hospital not to prison and, and um you see god doesn't reject us his hospital is his love he does not seek to punish us rather when this first happened he takes the initiative of love he sought adam some some i heard some chap the other day saying that god is too holy to look at sin isn't that balderdash you see the first thing that adam did was hide from god adam was terrified because of his sin he couldn't look at god but god so loved adam he could look at adam full face in all his sin and so while they're blaming god for their sin do you know what he did he released them well, the better word you would understand is forgive he forgave them and he gave them a promise that one of their own kind would come and deliver them isn't it amazing while they were in the act of sinning and blaming him for their problems he forgave them and promised that he would take responsibility for saving them it it's it's jesus said this in the new testament he said that um the shepherd uh, went into the wilderness to find the sheep because it was lost and lost means always ownership you cannot be lost unless you're owned and you cannot be lost unless you're owned and precious and of great worth to the owner and he says that the shepherd will go into that vast wilderness until he finds it whatever the cost 
And that's the incarnation. You see, Jesus is God. Can we establish that? If I'm going to speak from the gospel and speak of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, then the the bottom line and the unchangeable is that Jesus is God. John chapter 1 makes it abundantly clear. He is the creator and he is one with the Father. And, and he now joins into, assumes our, and it says so, it says our flesh. Our flesh. Uh, I, I think it would have sounded better to say he became human, but it is so detailed, right? And what he's saying became flesh. What is flesh? Flesh is what I've just been talking about. It is living in terms of my mortality. This is where it's at, you see. This is the meaning. This is, this is it. This is it. This is as good as it gets. It's right here. That's man in darkness. That's man in his despair on the edge of the abyss. This is all he's got, flesh. And it's out of here, I'm going to try to do this, and I'm going to try to do that, I'll try to do good. It's flesh. And it says that God, the creator, became flesh. That is when Jesus, God, joined the human race in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and took to himself our flesh and was born into our race. He did not come walking five feet above the earth, glowing with strange lights, uh, somebody other than us. He has come to save us, and therefore he must come exactly where we are. And he joined us in flesh. Or to put it this way, He didn't stand on the bank of the river and throw us a life jacket. Uh, He he didn't say, well, I'm the savior, you see, I've done this for you. I purchased this life jacket and here it is. No, he is the one that comes and joins us in the water as we're drowning and he participates in us to the point where he shares with us in our flesh. There is never one lie of Satan. There is no, never one way of the lie that we have been called into or are living into. But Jesus came right into it, experienced it, felt it, saw it, knew it, and said, no, this is the lie and I lived by the Father and his truth. That's the life of Jesus. You skip over it many times. People seem to think Jesus only came to die. But he came to get into, in the inside of our flesh, inside all the brokenness of our lives, inside all the abuse. He came to experience it and turn it around from being the lie with it is beating heart of the lie and see it as the truth and see it in the light of love. He becomes one with our separation without ever participating in our sin. 
And so he comes into our world of fear. He comes into the, I say, the abuse and the brokenness of the lies. And he took it to himself. He said, I'll live that. I'll receive that. I'll take it. But when he took it to himself, himself is love. And the lies cannot live in the presence of love. And so they lost their life. They lost their power. Jesus stood in a world of hate and took it and transformed it to love. Jesus stood in the world of lies and took the lies and it was destroyed for he gave truth. Um, what was it say? He took our sicknesses. Do you remember that? Matthew chapter 8. He bore our sicknesses. Now it wasn't speaking about the cross there. It was way back Matthew 8 as he was healing the sick. What was it saying? He took the sickness and sickness couldn't live in his life. And he gave his life. People were healed. They came with their sin, tax collectors, adulterers, crooks. And he took their sin and he gave them righteousness. See, the Pharisees were terrified of touching a tax collector. They believed they would become sinful just by touching them. Jesus touched them and they were lifed by his touch. That's what it all, it's the great exchange. He comes and he takes us and gives us himself. Hmm. And what is amazing, especially when he forgave again, I say what I said just a moment ago, he did it while they were in the act of sinning. This woman, they said, this woman is taken in the act of adultery. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Just a minute. We've got a whole list here. She's supposed to have filled out forms and says that, you know, she, she, she's repentant. She, she, she's supposed to uh, say the sinner's prayer. And Jesus just looks straight through to her soul and he says, you don't know what you're doing. You are condemned and I say, neither do I condemn you. You're forgiven. Now that, that's Jesus. And he comes ultimately to the cross and it seems all mankind joined together there, doesn't it? Because the religious of the temple, the high priest Annas and Caiaphas, joined together with the man they hated, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the political Roman master. But they got together for this. Amazing. And then Herod got involved too. He was as drunk as he could be, but he wanted a show, and so he got involved. And of course, all the peasants got involved, screaming, crucify him, which, of course, to a Jewish person, that expression meant damn him to hell. And then the soldiers, they were trained by Rome in sadism. They, they were the most brutal humans you could meet. They were experts in torture. And so they tortured Jesus let that sink in. Jesus is God. Jesus is God who has assumed our humanity and has now put himself willfully into the hands of wicked men. I say that. They didn't arrest him. You know the story. 
They came into the garden to arrest him. They said, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am the name of God. And as soon as he did, he said, they all fell flat on their backs. Their swords went flying all over the place. They were helpless. Jesus stood there. And he healed one of them, you remember, the servant's ear, and and helped them to their feet and offered his hands. He says, no one takes his life. He put, hear me, he put himself into the hands of wicked men. And he was saying to them, in so doing, do to me what you will. And I will turn it around to be your salvation. Please understand that. As the disciples are fleeing away from him, Judas already feeling the horror of what he'd done, Peter just about to deny him, John just about to sit there with his mouth shut. Oh yeah, it's all set up. But Jesus is intentionally giving himself into the hands of wicked men. It's the finale of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because all of those different persons thought that they were doing good. Can you imagine that? But that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as they do what they do to him, there's a a common expression that's repeated. It says that he didn't answer them. It says he answered never a word. Now hold it. And and again in Peter it says he didn't threaten them. You know, he didn't say, don't you know who I am? I'm God. And you have just done that to me. I'm going to get even with you. The day of judgment's coming. No, he didn't. Whatever they did to him, he accepted it. He did not. See, if you threaten um, it's in effect rejecting what the person is doing to you. You know, someone does anything that they did with Jesus. He 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 could have said. I, one person would say he should have said that. That's not me. That that's a that, that's not true. You're you're making a false accusation, and we're going to get even. You see, on the day of judgment, but it doesn't. They said he was cursed. He accepted it. They spat in his face and he accepted it, never answered a word, no threats. But what's happening? What's happening? It means in the hands of wicked men, he accepts their judgment of him. And in so doing, he, what can I say? He binds himself to them at a very deep level. He actually takes what they're saying. He takes what they're doing. And he becomes their sin and the curse. And the grief that they heap upon him. You remember it says, um, he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. The word grief and sorrow there, they're magnificent words. They're very dense. It would take a long time to fully define them. But it means... Every pain or suffering that the human being can receive to your inmost core person or your mind in mental abuse or your emotions in emotional abuse or physically. It's the coming together 
of all those ideas and words. It, it means you're caught in the crossfire of pain. Jesus bore every abuse known to humans. And I, I say, uh, obviously, physical and emotional, but you might not realize it also sexual because you have never seen, we never will, it would be not right, to see a real picture of the crucifixion because at the crucifixion, part of it, part of the suffering was that they stripped the person being crucified naked and they hung them up naked in front of the gawking crowd and the sadistic soldiers. That was part of it. And any judge in any state will tell you that to put someone publicly naked to laugh at them, hang them up, that's sexual abuse to the max. Jesus took to himself the sexual abuse that humans experience. He took the physical, he took the emotional, and as they gave it to him, they gave it to him, and he took it without threat or answer. He came where we were to the very edge of that abyss that existed in our darkness. And he came inside our minds and he experienced that great lie for himself out of which he cried, our cry, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the opening statement of Psalm 22. Every Jew standing there, when you said the first line of a psalm, they would know the whole psalm. That, that is just what happened in those days. And so when a person wanted to say something about a psalm, they would just quote the first line. And Jesus, in so quoting the first line of Psalm 22, assumed everybody would have known the whole psalm. And right at the end of the psalm, it's a grand statement that, yes, you might have said that, but he does not forsake you. And he speaks of the great triumph of what's happening there. But he was. Huh. He refused to yield to the lie that was hurled at him. He saw only his father. And together with his father, as they're doing their job of hatred as the nails are going in his hands as the crown of thorns gushes the blood he says father forgive them or release them from this they don't know what they're doing i guess as i'm going through this it, it it's he forgave them as they were doing it And then he entered death by faith in his father. That was his intentional choice. It says he gave up his spirit by intentional choice. He entered into death. He who is life entered into death and death died. But along with death dying, so did every accusation, 
So did every sense of guilt, all shame, all authority Satan ever had over the human race, all ideas of rejection, and that filthy invented God of Adam too, all went down because he entered into the guts of death and he is life. The earliest, earliest church had some pretty raw illustrations and, and they, they said that, that you know, the, the great fish and Jesus was the bait and they took him, but in taking him, they let life on the inside of death and it destroyed death. He took our separation and forever exposed it as a lie. Number one, God joined us in the incarnation. That's saying that the separation is a lie. God's on our side. He came with us, but now he's gone to the very guts of our death. He's come into the bottom of our pit and announced you are forgiven and you are beloved and I am life. People say, uh, what, what happened on Saturday if he died on Friday? Well, it says, um, you know, he descended into Hades. I, I often think Hades was understood as being the after death, the underworld, the inside the grave place with all its horrors. But I've walked the streets of New York. I've walked the streets of San Antonio. I think I've seen Hades. Um, at least it begins already. Uh, and it could, well, you know what I mean. There are people who live in this living world now and they're not only dead while they live, they're in Hades. It, it, it's the grave, it's the end, it's the place of abuse and brokenness and guilt and shame and darkness and terror anxiety it's Hades Jesus Jesus is at home inside death Jesus is at home inside our Hades you cannot escape him who would want to escape love that came and filled death with life came and filled Hades with love and in the earliest church in their icons in which they give picture uh, of these truths they have one I have it my assistant Andrew gave it to me on my birthday and and there it is it's a beautiful icon which pictures Jesus in Hades going to Adam and Eve and saying you too I've come to rescue you and bring you out he walked out of death with a life no one had ever seen before because it was life, but it was life that says I was dead, but it's a was. It's a life that has lived beyond death and conquered death. And you see, he's there as our representative, and the Bible speaks freely of our being in him, so that when he died, the human race was in him. You say, how come? Because he made us in the first place. Before he ever came to become one of the human family, he's the creator. It says he made us. His fingerprints are all over us. But also it says in him all things consist, which means the cells of our body are 
The glue of us is Jesus before he ever came. That's by creation. He's the owner, remember? We're lost. So it's the owner who comes to find the lost. And the lost are precious. And the lost are worth seeking. Now, Jesus, we belong to Jesus from the get-go. You say, well, Satan stole them. Oh, don't be daft. Who do you think Satan is? Just a pipsqueak angel. No. He kidnapped them. It doesn't stop who they belong to. Psalm says, where the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's there. Oh, no. He came to his own. He came to those who belong to him. And he is God. And he joined us into himself. And when he went into death, he carried all of us into death. All of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our abuse, all of our brokenness carried it there. He became as us. That we might become as he. And in becoming us, he took our sin, he took our death, gave us his life. There is an illustration that comes from most ancient days. And that is a patient in a a deathbed. And what if a doctor comes um, to do something for the patient, they had their medicines and, and they do whatever they do, but it... They're on the outside, you see, and they're giving the the medicine and it's not doing any good anyway. But then in the illustration, it comes from very early in the church, the the doctor, Jesus, comes. And, And as doctor, what does he do? Does he do something for you? No. No, he doesn't. As I say, he doesn't stand on the bank and throw a life jacket. This doctor came into the patient, became the patient, and took to himself the sickness and death of the patient. And in the strength of his own life, he took the sickness and death and canceled it, and instead gave to the patient his own life. And the patient lives in the life of this glorious doctor. This is what Jesus did. But just a minute, if the patient has been healed, if his sickness has been taken by Jesus and exchanged for the life of Jesus, then the patient can't live without Jesus. That's the point. That's union. That's resurrection. Jesus then gets out of the bed of the patient, but the patient gets out with him. And the patient lives, but he lives in the life of Jesus. That's what we're talking about. That's the gospel. Jesus, the real person, rose from the dead. Not a phantom, not a ghost. Substance, he told them. Number one, he let um, Mary, who saw him in the garden first, uh, and she grabbed a hold of him. You don't grab hold of a ghost. But then when he appeared to them in that upper room after supper, do you remember? He says, please, I obviously miss supper. Is there something to eat? 
And there, he who had been dead for three days now sits on a chair at their table and eats fish and drinks from their drink. Huh, that's no ghost. That's not some sort of spiritual thing. That's resurrection. He resurrected in our humanity. He is speaking to us, the human race, that something has happened that has never happened before. The ages have turned. Death has been conquered in the body. Death has been conquered in the totality of my person. And if it's conquered in me, it's conquered in you. Resurrection. It means a new kind of life. When all the news, any W that is connected with resurrection, it, it is the the new of new in kind. You get a new car, but this, it's not. I mean, it, you call it new because the one you just had is now old. But it's only old because this one's new. It's new in, in, in a line. Uh, it's, it's much the same as your old car, just a tweak here and there. But this other word new means new in kind, which means new as you've never seen before. So this is life. Oh, yes. Jesus sits there at the table with them. Life. But it's life as they have never seen life before. It is life that has gone into the very depth of death, conquered death, come out and death is dead and he lives forever. That's the gospel. That's, that's what we're talking about. Jesus. And he said that as he did that, he would do it in you, through you, for you, by you, with the result, you would come out of that tomb with him, having no more remembrance of sin, no more sense of guilt, no shame, and all the wounds of abuse healed, and you would have the life of Jesus inside of you, so that you would live, but not you would be Christ. In John 12, Jesus said this just before the crucifixion. John twelve twenty three, he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, which means um, you're going to see who he really is and you're also going to see who the Father really is. But then he goes on and says, this is it, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's he saying? He is saying that he is going into death. In the same way that a grain of wheat goes into the ground to die. So he is going deliberately into death. But he said that when a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... Something happens. He said, in its death, it bears much fruit. 
That is, there's a harvest from that one grain. There's a harvest. And how do you know it's harvest time when the grain of wheat that is there on the stalk of the wheat, in, in the sheaf of the wheat, is the same as that which fell into the ground? And then you say it's harvest. Jesus said, if, if I don't die, I will remain alone. There'll only be one me. But if I fall into the ground and die, what comes out of that will be millions who are the same as me. Did you get that? You see, it isn't. No, I'm sorry. Maybe I should spend a whole hour just talking about it. Because so many people think Jesus back there in history somewhere and he lived this, you know, super life. And now I'm here 2,000 years later trying to do what he did, trying to be like him. No, that's not the gospel. Not the gospel at all. The gospel is that he entered into death in order that he would actually now live inside of you. You are that you've been resurrected with his resurrection life. That's what new birth means. New birth is not a destination. Huh. You know, people say it's, it's quite common. I mean, it's the way people are supposed to get saved. They, they, they say, do you know where you'll spend eternity? Or, or the beauty, you know, the lovely one. If, if you walked out of this building and got hit by a bus, where would you go? The whole, what, what's that saying? The whole gospel is about going somewhere. It's a destination. It isn't, never has been. It's not in the New Testament. Certainly wasn't in the early church. The gospel, the gospel, new birth, is to a relationship. A relationship that, that is vibrating with divine energy life. The person of Jesus living inside of you through the Holy Spirit to reproduce his life in you and through you so that yes you died you you the old you came to an end in, in the death of Jesus and when he rose he carried you out with him and, and you were born again 1 Peter 1 3 said blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We, it's a new life. I said we turned a corner. We can never go back again. Never go back to living by a list of rules and laws. And he, Jesus uprooted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you're not going to go back to try and do good and stop doing evil and do your best and try and be like Jesus. And No, that, that was burned on the rubbish heap. Now it's the tree of life. The tree of life is Jesus himself. And he lives in us and we live in him. That's the gospel. Look, another illustration from very early, early in the church world life. Um, it's an illustration, a sword, and they, they were in the original illustration, a sword of iron. 
and they take the sword uh, made of iron and they put it into the fire until the whole sword glows with the fire. So, using their words, the fire is in the iron as surely as the iron is in the fire. And at that point, I have to say, which is what? Because this sword now has all the attributes of a sword, but at the same time, all the attributes of the fire. In fact, the iron and the fire are seamlessly one. If you, if you look at it, it's a sword, it's a sword, it's iron. But at the self-same time, no, it's fire, it's fire. It's seamless and it's simultaneous. That is what you are, Christ in you, and all that he is in you, all that you are in him. And for you to live is Christ. Or as Paul said, I live Yet not I, it is Christ who lives in me, which means a totally new approach to life. I'm not trying to be good. I'm not trying to do my best. I'm not trying to do anything. It's rather Jesus himself in the most intimate relationship and fellowship with me, with you, at our heart is also the life that we live. And his life is love. And love covers everything the law was ever after. Does that make sense? That's the gospel. It all hangs on the resurrection. This is the gospel. What does gospel mean? It's the good, glad, merry news that makes a man leap for joy. Well, have you heard the news? You see... What is often presented as gospel is not really good news. It means you're in for the long haul of a big, long try of despair. I, <clears throat> I look at people, you know, but when in so many churches they, they give the altar call and the poor people come forward. And, and I know they've been coming forward at every service since the Lord knows how long. And, and the look on their face, they're trying Oh, how they're trying to be Christians. They're trying to have enough faith. They're trying to repent enough. And, and they'll be back. And they know they'll be back. They're just trying. You call that good news? Boy, that, that's, that, that sounds like Hades to me. Um, no, you see, Christ is in you. And I proclaim to you this good news. And the spirit of Christ in you witnesses with you. It is so, that it's done, it's finished, and your eyes are open to see that. And you see, it isn't your faith. I, I told you Jesus went through the cross by his faith in the Father, that he would be carried through and strengthened. And You don't really think that you could ever have the faith to carry your sins through death to resurrection? Come on. The faith, the faith that brought about our complete release from our sins. The faith that brought us face to face with Father and hear him say to us, you're my beloved child. The faith by which you can live Christ. You don't believe you can have that faith. That's, 
It says, the life I now live, Galatians 2.20, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He came to live inside of you, not with a half-baked work. I mean, come on. Jesus rises from the dead in some people's idea. Rises from the dead. And goes to the Father and says, well, Father, I, I did it. I did it. Now let's hope someone has enough faith to take it. Huh. That would have been the end of that. You are saved by the faith of Jesus Christ. You trust him that he's done the job. Can I, can I give you the illustration? And I, I've been giving it, in my opinion, too much. Um, you know, you can overdo an illustration, but uh, it so fits here um, about, you know, faith. And, and I take it back to um, many, many years ago. At least, I mean, you could apply this any time, but it came home to me. Um, I'm standing on a street in London, uh, busy, busy, busy streets, and um, trucks and buses and cars and taxis and my little girl standing beside me and she's looking out on that mass of traffic and she knows that she cannot she knows she's totally unable to get across that street and then she looked up at me and in her little mind decided to trust me because I'm looking as if I know exactly how to get across that street. And standing there, I felt her little hand take a hold of my hand and hold it tight. She trusted me to have the faith and the know-how to get across the street. And in that moment, she actually participated in my faith. Her little shoulders straightened. And when we did walk out into the street, she walked with a little boldness as if I know exactly what I'm doing. But actually she was participating in my faith. Do you realize Jesus has saved you? He is the savior. There's nothing left for you to do. We put religion out of a job. Now I simply trust him, and that includes trusting his faith that he carries me. And you know, with all of this, I use the word seamless, simultaneous. Christ is my life. It's not that he's got the left-hand side of me and I've got the right, and we sort of had discussions. No, he... Simultaneous, seamless. Entanglement is a good word out of quantum physics. But... You see, I, I'm so used to that. I, there are times I really don't know. I don't think about who's doing this because I'm in him and he's in me and there's no dividing line. So we, he, I, me, he, we do. And, and so there's no forced religiosity that it wasn't me, it was the Lord. No, that was flushed down the toilet too. Now when I speak, he speaks. When he speaks, I listen and speak. When you sing, he sings. When he blesses, you're, you're a blessing. It's a glorious entanglement. 
Well, I, I've gone 10 minutes over time. But then you've got nothing else to do, do you? Um, I could have gone half an hour over time. But um, there it is. So please stop trying to get in and realize you were brought into this extreme life of glory at the resurrection. You are in. You're included. You are now included by the act of God in raising Jesus from the dead. And in his resurrection, he comes, he, he, he comes through the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, a life without separation. That, that, that's a, so stop trying to get in. Stop trying to do anything and realize he has done it all. It is finished and he brought you in. And your eyes have been opened to see that you're in. So participate with great joy. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead, Holy Spirit who now dwells in you, open the eyes of your understanding, flood you with light, that you may discover that for you to live is Christ. So I bless you, and that is the way it is.